Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 131 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host once again, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinho coming to you here late on a Sunday night from the northeast corner of the United States of America to the entire world, wherever English-speaking Benficistas are located, or wherever Benficistas who uh, understand English and who... Who like to listen to podcasts in English uh, are located wherever you are tonight. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. Um, I have to say right off the top that yesterday's farce of a match, yesterday's complete embarrassment of what has become Portuguese football in the last 20 years, especially more than that, but it just continues to get worse was on display for the entire world, okay? You all know by now I'm talking about Mifika's 7-0 win on the road at the Jamur against Bisad. I won't call them Bulanins, especially now. I will not disgrace the original, the real Bulanins. Um, not that this is all Bisad's fault either, but uh, I will not... I will not use the original club's name to talk about this club, which is not a club. It's simply a sad. And, well, I think they kind of were victim of their own their own uh, structure here because there is nobody to advocate for them. And, well, while I don't blame them entirely for what happened, I know a lot of people do. Me, this falls 100% on the League of Portugal. This falls 100% on them. 
this falls just on the ineptitude of of everybody running football in Portugal. Yeah, the AFPF may be off the hook on this one, but they're no better. Let's let's not uh, let's not ignore the fact that they wouldn't have come up with anything better either. Okay, so really, the FPF and the Liga Portugal are just a disgrace right now. I've said this before, but they continue to prove it right. And uh, yesterday's debacle is what it was. And, um, well, Portuguese football or Liga Portugal is trending on Twitter, or was yesterday, um, at the time of the match, was trending for all the wrong reasons. And I remember, I remember when people really got excited. Remember when Portugal passed France in the coefficient rating in UEFA? And all of a sudden, the European Big Five was now being addressed as the Big Six. But there was no mention of Portugal as the newcomer in that big, quote-unquote, Six. That Big Six was invented to keep France in the conversation. And while the French League is an embarrassment of its own, just go look how many of their matches have been in, have been in, abandoned this season. They're no better than, than our league is. Really, it should just be a Big Four because there is... A universe of difference in class, in professionalism, in organization. When you look at the Premier League, the Bundesliga especially. And then you look at the Liga B-Win Portugal, or the Liga Portugal B-Win that we play in. And there there needs to be an absolute just overhaul and pardon the... Pardon the phrase because it's a political phrase and it's not meant to be, but it is the epitome of what needs to happen in Portuguese football. The swamp needs to be drained. Literally anybody in charge in Portuguese football right now should be reevaluated for their position. This is an embarrassment. And if you don't believe me, just Google Benfica today. We're we're on the end of a lot of this because we look like the bad guys. So I did that for you, for everybody. I went into my Google machine and I put in Befica. Here's what comes up. Just what comes up off of the top, okay? The world's media outlets finally talking about our club. Not because we put in good matches against Barcelona or because we put in a good 70 minutes against Bayern Munich. No, 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 no. The world is talking about our club because we beat nine men 7-0 in a 45-minute match, essentially. ESPN headline... Today, Portugal league match abandoned as COVID outbreak reduces Bolognese to nine players. See, they use the. This is why I feel bad for Bolognese. That should say Bisad. I know they don't know these things at ESPN. They don't cover this league very closely. They have no idea that this is not Bolognese that we played against. No matter how much the league insists that they are Bolognese, they are not Bolognese. They are Bisad. They're Code City Blues. Call them what you want, but they are not Club Football Bolognese. Again, the media puts the real club's name here in shame, but it's not them. Um, and it says that Bolognese reduced to nine players, including two keepers. And all they've got in their article, oh, actually, they do have it here. It's from Reuters. And it says, if you got Primera League match at Bolognese, there you go. I apologize again to Actual Bolognese fans, I'm going to replace the word Bolognese with the word Bisado, with the phrase Bisad. On Saturday, uh, the match was abandoned amid extraordinary scenes after the COVID hit. Opponents were forced to name a team 
of nine players, including two goalkeepers. The league said on Sunday it would start a disciplinary process to investigate if the match complied with health rules. Benfica took advantage of their numerical superiority to rack up seven goals by halftime before Bissad returned with only seven players for the second half. The match was called off two minutes after the break when João Monteiro, a goalkeeper playing in midfield, sat down on the ground unable to continue forcing referees to abandon the match, which require a minimum of seven players. This was predictable. Anyone, I don't know if anyone remembers, but this happened, uh, I want to say this was around 2002, when Portugal played a friendly against Angola at the Estadio Giselle Valade. Now, different circumstances. Angola Angola picked up two or three red cards. and I think they got really angry with the referee, and the referee started to throw red cards, if I remember correctly. I mean, this was 20 years ago almost, so it's hard to remember. But I do remember Angola got down to eight or nine players in the second half, and suddenly they they made their subs so that they would be out of subs, and then players started to sit down and claim an injury, and they would come off, and the match ended up being abandoned. This was a match, I think, that was to celebrate... I don't know if it was to celebrate Portugal's qualification to World Cup 2002. I don't remember if it was to celebrate, um, I think it was a celebration for the Angolan community, actually, in Lisbon. Uh, because there were more Angola fans in the Alvalade that day than there were Portugal fans. And that was what they were treated to. This this reminded me so much of it, even though the circumstances, again, completely different. But once they came out, first of all, I didn't think they were coming out at, at halftime. Um very hard for commentators, whether it's in English or in Spanish or even in Portuguese, if they're not at the stadium, to have any idea what's going on. But Bulanis, there I go again, apologies. Bissad took an extremely long time to come out um, to come out of the team rooms at, at halftime and came out with only seven players. So now they started with nine. So they came out with seven. And as soon as they came out with seven, you knew this someone was going to go down with an injury, and we were going to call this a match, uh, you know, within minutes. And what probably was happening was the the officials for the for Bissad probably were scouring the rule book up and down to see exactly what they could do to end this match without maximizing fines. And that's why they took the mat they took the pitch for the second half. And as soon as the you know. It, kicked off it uh it ended uh i feel for the four thousand or so benfiquistas who were there there was i think two bisad fans in the stadium that's all the camera caught a glimpse of uh the overhead shots are just depressing there's literally nobody there um tickets were very very overpriced nobody cares clearly the league doesn't care bisad doesn't care about that they need their their payday um and you know the entire Supporters were 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 sque- squeezed into a corner of the Jamor. Really sad scenes, actually, and uh, they got a whole forty-five minutes of eleven on nine football to watch before it ended. Continuing with this uh, article here on ESPN from Reuters, it says the match was called off. Okay, forcing one positive te- following one positive. COVID-19 test in the squad earlier this week. A total of 17 cases were reported among BISAD players and staff. Um, Club president Rui Pedro Suarez told a news conference on Saturday before the match. BISAD players shared a message on social media 
before the match. That said, football only has heart if it is competitive. Football only has heart if it is really sporting. Football only has heart when it is an example of public health. So what you see there is a PR department trying to to save face here. Um, I think there's this... I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so basically... Um, Swartz told reporters that he had unsuccessfully asked the authorities for the game to be postponed. In the middle of the afternoon, he communicated to the Liga, he told the press, that they didn't want to play the game. We had eight players who could attend the match, and as such, they they were told that if they didn't attend the match, it would be an unjustified absence. That's the story on ESPN. What are they saying in other parts of the world? So, in Brazil, on Globo, their biggest media outlet... Headline came up also on this uh, Google search, and it says, Consurto de Covid, Bulan- there we go again, saying Bulanes. Okay, again, I apologize. I'm going to try to balance between quoting these sources and just not using that name. So, uh, again, I will translate this into English in just a minute, but the headline is Consurto de Covid, Bissad tem goleiro na linha e goleado. Pelo Benfica, em jogo termina com 46 minutos. What that means is, so with an outbreak of COVID, Bissad has a goalkeeper on the pitch. They actually had two goalkeepers on the pitch and are blown out by Benfica in a match that ends in 46 minutes. Reading on, uh, their further talk was, O campeonato português viveu um dia surreal com surto de COVID-19 no Elenco, elenco is the Brazilian term for the the roster or the the we'd say the plantel in in our Portuguese. O Bolonense conseguiu escalar apenas nove jogadores contra o Benfica no Estádio do Jamor em Oeiras. Entre eles, dois goleiros, um atuou na linha. Uh, o time de Jorge Jesus fez 7 a 0 no primeiro tempo. Mas a partida foi encerrada no início da segunda etapa porque o time man- so in English, the the Brazilian reporting is that the Portuguese championship lived an unreal or surreal day with an outbreak again of COVID-19 in the roster. Like I said, that word elenco that they use. Uh, Bissad managed to dress only nine players um, against Benfica. Uh, two, two goalkeepers um, in one I guess uh, in the on the pitch, I thought I was understanding that there were two goalkeepers on the pitch and one in goal. Um, either way, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's ridiculous that it, it got to this. Uh, and then it says George's team wins seven nil in the first half, and the match is ended uh, shortly into the second half. In Spain, Marca also has us there on their on their headlines. This comes up again. Just Google Benfica. And in Spanish, on Marca's front page, El partido de nun- que nunca se debió jugar, ver- they use the Portuguese word vergonha mundial en Portugal. So they use the Portuguese word there, vergonha, instead of vergüenza, um, in quotations. And basically what that means is the por- the match that should have never been played, embarrass- global embarrassment in Portugal, or worldwide embarrassment in Portugal. The uh, the author of this, who it doesn't even say who wrote this, um, but he says, 
at the beginning, he says, ¿Qué, qué es esto? Soy el único que no, que no entiende que, que porque nos ha aplazado el partido. He's saying, what is this? Am I the only one who understands? Am I the only one who does not understand why this match was not uh, postponed? And he says, el club de, de Bernardo Silva's uh, refleja a la perfección, uh, la indignación con el suicidio en el Besad Benfica. So it says, the former club of Bernardo Silva, um, you know, makes, basically takes advantage of the indignation and, um, you know, makes the most of this, of this, uh, situation they have some highlights here but then the part i want to say is what's left here at the bottom uh and when the match is is over they get they hit the na nail on the head here spanish uh media outlet marca they say ahí fue cuando belenenses aka besad dijo basta so this is where this is talking about the second when the two teams came out for the second half here's where besad said enough el intermedio se estaba demorando más de la cuenta y saltó al césped con solo siete jugadores. Okay, so they noticed, and we all saw, Bisad come out with only seven players. Okay, and they took their sweet time, as it's saying. Um, they, they took much longer than usual, and only seven players took to the pitch. Anybody watching knew what was going to happen next. Uh, Marca notes that Antonio Montes and Diego Calila um, uh, stayed in, it, oh, it says here, uh, Antonio Montes y Diego Calila se, quedar, se quedaron a los vestuarios. So Antonio Montes and Diego Calila stayed in the changing rooms. La jugada parecía clara, fingir una lesión o forzar una expulsión para participar el final o precipitar, excuse me, el final del partido. Así fue, Juan Montero. Nada más que reandurarse el partido, se tiró al suelo y obligó al árbitro Manuel Mota a suspender el partido. El daño estaba hecho. Portugal se avergonzó de su fútbol. And it says, everything seemed clear. Fake an injury or force a... a force sending off to precipitate the end of the match and that is what happens Juan Montero <laughs> goes to the ground and uh, he forces the referee to end the match and it's done and Portugal you know embarrasses themselves no doubt with this and again just absolute embarrassment the mirror in, in Britain Says Benfica farce sees match abandoned as opponents concede seven and end with six players. A COVID outbreak had left Portuguese minnows beside facing a crisis with 14 players unable to play and three staff members unavailable due to strict measure, measures on self isolation. This is written by Joe Krishnan of the Mirror. And uh, he says, Fo Portuguese football descended into farcical territory on Saturday night after Benfica's match against Belenense had to be, so, there I go again, against Bissad had to, please, media, stop calling them Belenense. Liga Portugal, stop calling them Belenense. They're Bissad. 
had to be abandoned when their opponents finished the game with only six players at 7-0. Down, a COVID outbreak had left the Portuguese Minnows facing a crisis with 14 players unable to play, as we had just said. It's, it was expected that the FPF would order the postponement of the clash. So according to the Mirror, they think that it was expected that the FPF was going to force the postponement. I don't know where they got that expectation. I don't think um, anyone expected that because that would be reasonable and that would have been required common sense, which the FPF has none. Just look at the way that they are managing the national team right now, which is also under their watch. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but with no decision forthcoming, says the Mirror, a potential fine or points deduction awaiting them if they forfeited the game. Bisad had no option to fulfill, but to fulfill the fixture. That's an important point because Benfica also had no choice. I've seen it out there where people think Benfica should have refused to play. Benfica would have risked taking a loss and having a further two points deducted if they refused to play. Okay, that was never going to be an option. Our rivals would have loved that. And yes, our rivals now have all the bulletin board material. They go to their allies in the press. We are going to be absolutely slandered in the Portuguese press in the world, and through their allies in the world press. We're going to be slandered for some time for this as if we had anything to do with this. We did everything we had to do. We took the pitch. We played the match. I disagree with anyone who believes we should have scored one goal and then passed the ball around until... Until they ran out of players. That's ridiculous. That's even more farcical. I don't like how our club's name is being mentioned in this light. Do you really think that if Sporting or Porto took the pitch against this team, they would have done anything different? I think they would have done... Porto would have scored 10 or 15. I don't doubt it for one second. So if they're going to pretend that they're above this, let's remind Sporting... What they did when Vittoria Stubel had a breakout of influenza, not of COVID, of the flu, the the original COVID, if you will. And no, don't please don't correct me. I'm making a joke. I know that they're not the same thing. Okay, but when Vittoria Stubel had an outbreak of the flu not too long ago, and Sporting forced them to play, they had players who were actually sick playing. So don't come in and act like, you know, you're so much better than us because because you wouldn't have played this match. That that's ridiculous. You can play. You can talk about the numbers all you want. At the end of the day, okay. At the end of the day, this match should not have been played. But it is not up to the clubs to do that. It is up to the league to do the right thing. And this league once again drops the ball. This league is the laughing stock of football. I watch enough. You can say what you want about South American football. I've watched enough of it. This doesn't happen in South America. The match gets postponed, or enough youth players show up. Now, some people are saying, and I've seen it out there, that Bulanis, again, there I go, Bulanis Sad, Bisad, should have, you know, had more players available than that. Well,. I don't know the insides of the club. I have no idea how many players they have available. Uh, I'm I'm assuming their U23s played this week. I'm assuming their youth team played this week. That's all they have is a U19 and a U23. They are not a club. They are literally a team with three tiers. They're not a club. They don't have youth teams. They don't have other sports. They don't have women's teams. This is literally 
a football team with three tiers to it. Um, so I find it very believable that this is all that they could field. Um, and their finances, I'm sure, are disastrous given that they don't have a home, they don't have supporters, they pay rent to stadiums that they don't, obviously don't own and that they don't sell tickets to uh, to compensate for that rent. So I have a hard time putting too much blame on Bissad for this one. There's plenty I can blame on Bissad with what's wrong in football, Portuguese football. They are a prime example of what's wrong in in, in Portuguese football. Why have they not merged with the new club by now? Why have they not struck an agreement with a Red Bull or with a city football group or something to get this club properly funded and get it going? They're hanging on by 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 strings, and you know I guess they deserve some some credit for even still existing because I think they've probably done well to just survive to this point. But the real bullness is in the Campeonato Portugal. They're in the fourth division and making their way up up the pyramid. Okay, the real bullness played against Sporting in the Taça de Portugal uh, a month ago. In their real stadium, okay, in the Gestil. This team here is just a team using that name. This needs to be resorted. First of all, this needs to be resolved. They should not be playing with this name anymore. We heard rumors of them going to Grandula to become Grandolins. But then we heard they wanted to keep the the Bulanis name. But they're not Bulanis. And... Again, there's so much that you can pile on this this group, this outfit, uh, that is wrong with them. But on this occasion, on the fact of this particular match, I put very little blame on them. Um, and I think that, you know, the league is 100% who's to blame for this. I'm not even going to put this on. I've heard people talk about the, the DGS. I want government out of football as much as possible. Okay, I understand it's a it could be a public health crisis, but again, one thing that has lacked, regardless of what you believe about this COVID outbreak, about this COVID virus, uh, coronavirus. Okay, there's differing opinions. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. This is not a political podcast. This is not a health podcast. I'm not a doctor, but one thing I think everyone can agree on worldwide. There's been an absolute lack of common sense in dealing with this. What we have worldwide is two extremes fighting with each other as to how to handle this, with neither one budging. And this match is a is an absolute example of extremes not budging. Common sense came did not come into this equation at any point. Okay. Common sense was never used in what to do here. The rules call that the match would have had to be rescheduled within seven days, I believe. Why? Who knows? There's no reason why it couldn't be moved to the new year. To Why it couldn't be moved. There's a couple tentative dates that would have worked. The weekend of the Tasa de Liga Final Four could have been a tentative date, and if Benfica are there, then you move it again. But at least you have an opening there. Or you move it to 
midweek later in the season when you're not playing every three days anymore. It's a lot of there is opportunities in the calendar where to put this match. Once again, the league drops the ball on this one. I wanted to close up with this. Uh, it says from the first. This is I don't like this again. This is what's now coming out of this is that we are made to look like villains here. And it says from the first whistle, it promised to be a long min, a long ninety minutes as the for the hosts as Benfica show no mercy to their stricken opponent. Okay, enough with the, uh, I don't blame them, but I don't feel sorry for them either, okay? Again, there are rules in place, okay? There are measures in place that clearly don't work, but I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for them either, okay? Benfica had a job to do, they went out and did it. They're not there to be charitable. The Guardian, I'm sorry, the mirror goes on to to break down the 45 minutes of the match. I'm not going to even talk about the 45 minutes. You can find the scoreline anywhere you want. Uh, Darwin had a hat trick, two for Seferovic, one for, one for uh, Rafa, and one for Weigel, if I'm, my memory serves me correct. Uh, more articles, Sky Sports says, Coronavirus, Befica match abandoned at 7-0 as Corona hit. There they go, using that word again. But I'm going to say Bissad reduced to six men. And they say the same thing everyone else says. BBC Sports says the same thing. CNN. CNN, my least favorite of all media outlets. I despise CNN. One, they, I despise everything about them. But here's what they say. Mifika match abandoned after COVID hit opponents left with six players. Again, making victims out of everybody. As if Benfica were supposed to just go over there. And I've heard people say that Benfica should have played 9-on-9. Nine nine. That's stupid. That's not even ridiculous. That's stupid. Benfica have a job to do. Benfica are fighting for a title. Benfica need the three points. Okay. And Benfica need goal difference. Okay. So it, the rules are the rules. Benfica had to play within them. They're not. It's not up to Benfica to be charitable in this. And I've said this before. Okay, when I defend Bayern Munich for running up the score on us, I obviously defend Benfica for running up the score in this situation. Okay, I don't care what our rivals say. They would have done the exact same thing. Um, Yeah, and and, and CNN goes on to say that. The Athletics says, Bissad the Benfica abandoned in the second half after hosts were unable to field the team due to COVID outbreak. Here we go. So you get the, you get the gist of what's being reported in the worldwide media. Well, Benfica, we finally are getting some of the coverage we've wanted, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, I'll quickly run down uh, the rest of the results in the Liga Nage or the Liga Portugal, excuse me, this week. Okay, the rest of round. 12. There's one match left to play at the time of recording. And uh, it started on Friday. Moreirense, excuse me. Moreirense 2. Gil Vicente 2. Saturday, Famalicão 0. Portimonense 3. Roca 2. Boa Vista 1. Of course, our match 7 0 against Sad. Today's matches Maritimo 2. Passos de Ferreira 0. Sporting 2. Tondela 0. And Porto 2. Vitória Guimarães 1. Tomorrow, you have. Istoril taking on Santa Clara, and actually Tuesday, one more match. Braga taking on Vizela in yet another Minu derby. 
Let's look at the table as it stands right now with a few teams left to play this round. Porto lead the league 32 points from 10 victories and 2 draws. Same for Sporting. We are one behind them in third with 31. As you know, next week we tra- we host Sporting. And again, I'll talk about in a minute why I'm even more furious this match was played. Uh, fourth place, Istoril with all, with a match in hand, they have 20 points. Portimonense right now fifth with 20 as well. Braga sixth, but with a match in hand, 19 points. Guimarães seventh with 16 points. She'll be sent. Have 14. Aroca 13. Tundela 10th with 12. Boa Vista and Passos Ferreira 11th and 12th, respectively, with 11 points each. Famalicão have 10 points. They're in 13th. Also on 10 points is Maritimo and Vizela. Murires now in 16th with 9 points. Bisad 17th with 8. And Santa Clara with 6 in the bottom of the table. Okay, so next week's fixtures before we move on. All right, Friday. Portimonense host Porto in basically a Porto B versus Porto A team. Uh, Porto A matchup. So we all know how that's going to go. And then the big one. 4.15 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States. That's 9.15 Lisbon time. Friday night. Benfica host Sporting. And I'm just hoping and praying that our team does not have another outbreak like we had last season. And we go into that match missing key players. And we start this cycle all over again like we had last season, where which ended up being our demise. Four straight games where we dropped points while our players, you know, in groups of three or four, five, whatever, were, were you know, testing positive and actually dealing with the virus. Whereas in this outbreak, for the most part, from everything I'm reading, these players are all asymptomatic. So it's just a matter of a test. But um, last year, we were very sick. We were forced to play. Another reason I don't feel sorry. Okay, Another reason the Portuguese league is a joke. Okay, And uh, Benfica had every right to go out there. And, and I wish they had scored more, to be honest with you. Because, um, listen, we've been on the other end and nobody felt sorry for us. Okay, So Benfica Sporting, the big one, next Friday. And then Saturday, Tondela host Morirense. Boavista hosts Maritimo. Passos Ferreira host Vitória Guimarães. Sunday, Santa Clara host Aroca. Gil Vicente host Famalicão. Braga host Estoril. And Monday, December the 6th, round 13, will close with Vizela hosting whatever's left of Bissad. Okay. Um, like I said, my concern now is that this virus is going to go through our locker room. And we already had Paul Bernardo, you know, test positive while away with the U21 national team. Um, I, I'm just hopeful that in the next five days, at least, and beyond, nobody nobody tests positive here. And we don't have an outbreak in our team because of this match. And, of course, you know, there's also the concern of it breaking out into the general public. Although, I don't believe that anyone in the stadium is at any danger of contracting the virus from any players on the pitch. That's very unlikely. Now, whoever the players may come across in their day-to-day life, that's a different story. But, um, again, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Okay, the first break of the show is coming up on the other side. We're going to rewind to Barcelona, Benfica, Champions League action. All right, here on Mr. Benfica, this is episode 131. 
I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. And don't forget to check out the homepage www.mrbenfica.com. We'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Quem não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Sozinho, em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 131. Alright, you hear that anthem, you hear that music, that means one thing. Champions League football, and I'm happy to say we are still alive in the Champions League this season, this 2021-2022 edition of the UEFA Champions League. It's match day five, and we're at the historic Camp Nou in Barcelona, and in front of what is actually a small crowd of 49,572, 5,000 of which were traveling Benfica supporters. Uh, Benfica took on Barcelona in what was Xavi's debut as Barcelona manager in uh, Champions League or in Europe, um, had he, having uh, just picked up his first victory in his La Liga debut, beating Espanyol uh, the previous weekend in the Barcelona derby. So... Uh, a lot of pressure on both sides, really. Um, I thought, okay, I'm going to be fair here. I thought that uh, JJ did quite well in this match, um, given what he had. So I'm going to rewind a little bit here. And I know, and those of you that follow me on Twitter and that have listened to the, the show for some time know that uh, I don't always agree with the manager, right? Um and a lot of times I agree with most of you in what you're saying, but there was an outrage 
that I at least I was seeing on Twitter and on other social media platforms or in other, uh, you know, in, in just watching news interviews and whatnot before this match when the lineup was dropped. Um, I'll give my thoughts on that in just a moment. Let's let's go through the lineups and then I will I will uh, give my thoughts. We'll start with the home side uh, for the Blaugrana for Barcelona playing at home. In goal is the Germany international Mark Andre Ter Stegen. Uh, they're going in a three four two one, and they're th- back three. Ronald Araujo, and it is Araujo. It's not Araujo like the Mexican player with the same last name. Uh, this Uruguayan pronounces it Araujo. He's playing as the right center back. Uh, the the longtime center back Gerard Pique is this is the deep lying center back with Clement Lengley as the left center back in midfield. Yusuf Demir plays as the right wing back. Jordi Alba as the left wing back. The double pivot in midfield, Frankie De Jong and the captain, Sergio Busquets. And in front of them, two attacking midfielders, Nico Gonzalez and Pablo Gavira. And the striker is, of course, Memphis Depay. For Benfica now, playing in their normal three... Well, it's a 3-4-2-1 is how it's being shown here on FOTMOB. But uh, very much their normal formation. You can call it a 3-4-3, really. Um, this upset a lot of you. Okay, this I, I could tell this upset people. They expected either a back four or they expected three different. Uh, they expected a slight different lineup in the back three. So the goalkeeper is Odivaco Dimos once again, and he had himself a fine match here. Um, he starts in goal as usual. The left center back is Jan Vertonghen. Super Jan is joined to his right in the deep-lying center back with... Uh, Probably the most heroic performance we've seen from this player. Definitely in a Benfica kit. And I struggled to come up with a better uh, defensive performance from a center back in any Benfica match I've watched. I mean, I, and I've watched hundreds, if not thousands, of Benfica matches in my life. Probably thousands, I would say by now. I struggle to think of a better defensive performance than the one put in on this night. By Nicolas Otamendi. Otamendi, absolutely the clear in a way leader of this team. Armband or no armband. This is the guy that has turned this team from the absolute mess it was at the end of the Brunelage era to what it is today. At the today, not a single Benfica player quits on the pitch. Not a single Benfica player quits on their manager. Even when they play poor, they play to the end. I owe a lot of that, or at least I um, I point that change to the arrival of Nicolas Otamendi. And I do, st- I do feel validated because when he was signed, I felt like the only person who was happy about it. And he's not a player I liked beforehand. Um, I was never a Nicolas Otamendi fan, obviously, when he played for Porto. I was never a Nicolas Otamendi fan with certainly not with Man City. I don't support Man City, so I wouldn't be a fan of his there. Um, With the Argentina national team, okay. Uh, But when we signed him, you can go back and listen to it. It is there. 
go back to the episodes in early season three. In late summer, early fall of 2020. And hear my reaction to the signing of Nicholas Otamendi. I said he brought something that this team lacked. He brought fight. This is a guy who's not afraid to stand up for his teammates. Our club doesn't stand up for itself most of the time. Our club allows media opponents, media directors at at rival clubs to trash on us. Our club allows referees to close their eyes when it should be a penalty for us. Our club allows all of this. This player does not. And to this day, and and we've we may have spent 100 million or whatever, you know, 150 million or whatever since George Azuz returned to the club. Nicolas Otamendi is the biggest signing and the most important signing. And probably the only reason JJ is still here, other than JJ's huge contract. But he is the biggest reason why we're competitive again. And man, was he awesome in this game against Barcelona. To his right, the captain. Again. I called this. I predicted this weeks, months ago. It's Andre Almeida. And it shouldn't surprise anybody. I don't get the outrage. This is not football manager. You're, this is not FIFA. And I mean the video game. This is a real-life football match in the real UEFA Champions League. On no planet is Moratu going to play as a right center back. In no planet is Nick is Vertonghen certainly going to play as a right center back. The only way Moratu plays in this back three is if Vertonghen plays in the deep center, basically the sweeper role where Otamendi absolutely played the game of his career in in this match. And Otamendi moves to the right. Otamendi's not as good on the right. Okay? Otamendi... Is much better exactly in the role he played in this match. And he's our best defender, our best central defender. He needs to, the very, you need to take care of the core first. The center needs to be protected first. So I understand 100%. I said that Andre Almeida's role in this team was not going to ever be as a right wing back. I said that. He was going to be the backup right center back in a back three. Here he is. Our starting right center back, unfortunately, Lucas Verissimo is out for the season. Against the Barcelona, it's absolutely got to be Andre Almeida playing there. You cannot put either Jan or Morato in that position. Okay, You cannot just put left center backs on the right center. It's something you can do in video games. It's something you can do playing football manager. It's something you can do in the local leagues. It's something you can do, you know, in kickabouts, not in the UEFA Champions League. Okay, absolutely not something you can do. And um, the other reason he needed to be the one in the lineup here is, as we know, and we've watched enough matches this season, We've watched enough matches since we went to this this three this back three, which I will continue to defend as the way we need to play with this group of players that we have. 
Okay, my my defense of this system of play is 100% due to the personnel we have. We don't have personnel to play a back four. We will get slaughtered. We have wide defenders who don't defend well. You can't play a back four with two outside backs that can't defend. Hence why we have to play with a back three. So please, once again, I know when we'll get to this match in the final segment, I know we switched to a 4-4-2 against Pastor Strejda. It's one thing to switch to it in the match, and it's another thing to come out that way from the start. And I've said this before. When you start with a back three, it's much easier to switch to a back four than it is in reverse. Okay, If you start with a back four, it's very hard to switch to a back three because the personnel has to be right. Now, Andre Almeida starts this match because we know Gilberto does not go 90 minutes. And we know Diogo Gonçalves is not healthy. We know, um, and actually, good thing that Lazaro was because we he was called on. We know that Grimaldo does not go 90 minutes, okay? Had Jorge Zuz started Morato instead of Andre Almeida, he would have had to bring Andre Almeida on for Gilberto. Okay, this way, Andre Almeida, should he decide to go to a back four, can simply just slide Andre Almeida out to the right. If Morato is in that place, he can't slide him out to the right. He could slide him to the left, maybe. But again, Andre Almeida is the better choice here, given what the match was giving us. And given his experience, and experience does count, especially in the UEFA Champions League. All right, going on to the rest of the lineup. Like we said, Gilberto starts as the right wing back. Grimaldo is the left wing back. Double pivot, of course, is Ulian Weigel and João Mario, who's not 100%, but put in a valuable, valiant, I should say, effort. The three in the attack. It is Yarimchuk who gets the start over Darwin. Surprised me just a little. But I get it. I get why why Yeremchuk is uh, selected for this one. Um, he's our only player that holds the ball up. If you go with Darwin, you have absolutely zero target players in the front. So what happens is when we want to get up and push up and get out of our end a little bit, you need players that can hold the ball and allow the team to move forward and to get up. And Yaremchuk does that much better than Darwin. Darwin is the type of player that wants to get in behind and run, okay? And um, I know he had a lot of success against Barcelona the first time around, and I thought he was going to start based on that, or even I thought he was going to start on the left um, with Yadim Chuk and Rafa. JJ opts to go with Everton, who's on form right now, so I, I understand that as well. Everton's having a couple of good matches in a row and starting to recover and starting to recoup himself. And I do believe that is why J.J. went with him here. In And also, J.J. is learning a little bit how to... I'm not saying he's learning. He's realizing, because J.J.'s been a manager for so many... Longer than I've been alive, practically. Um, it's not that he's learning this, but it's that he's understanding and realizing he needs to leave options on the bench. You can't always just run with your best 11. Because... As you can see, when you watch this team play, as soon as they start going to the bench, we get significantly weaker. Okay, so that's that's what I think about the lineup, okay? Um, again, I think he put out the, the team that, that should have been put out to, to play this match. 
there's very little that that realistically could be changed here. But again, once he had to go to the bench, you know, it did it did get a little bit worse. Looking at the way the match played out, and Benfica come out, and uh, they come out cautious, which is understandable. Remember that um, Benfica needed a draw. They couldn't afford to lose because if Barcelona win, Barcelona lock up their spot in the last 16. Benfica needed to take this to the final day, and they did succeed in that as um, the pressure was on Barcelona, but Benfica could not afford to lose. So they have you can't just go out. Again, I hear fans saying that, it's to win, always. Yes, it's to win, but you have to win with a plan. It's not to just put everybody out there and everybody runs until they can't run anymore. And then you find yourself, you know, in trouble. This Barcelona team, you know, is going to give you opportunities to get in behind. They defend poorly. Yes, Xavi is in here. I have my doubts about Xavi as a manager. And these first two matches have very much um, strengthened my doubts. They have not They have not uh, changed my doubts in any way. Um, and then his post-match, you know, comments tell me he's not ready for this position. Because he thinks Benfica played, uh, came out and played for a zero-zero, which if JJ was playing for a zero-zero, none of those substitutions he made would have been made that way. Um, but again, Barcelona love to possess; they overvalue the possession, and it looks like that's going to continue. Um, Barcelona's missing some important players in this, so that needs to be noted also. That that plays into Benfica's game a little bit. Uh, noticeable by their absent. Pedri, Ansu Fati, etc. Okay, Serginho Dest is not in the starting 11, and he brings a lot of attacking, you know, in a lot of pace to the attack for Barcelona. And I know he's the scapegoat often for this Barcelona side. As uh, no matter who the manager is, they keep insisting on playing him on his weaker side. But again, you lose a bit of of pace when you opt when you opt to keep Serginho Dest out and you bring on uh, you bring on Yusef Demir. Not so much the the paciness of of a Serginho Dest. Yeah, maybe I just root for the guy a little bit more because he's an American. But hey. Um, I think a lot of times he's unfairly scapegoated by Barcelona fans, and uh, well, Jordi, Jordi Alba returns, and he was not playing in the, in the first matchup. But, but uh, no, Barcelona had to go after it. The problem with Barcelona is they only know how to play one way. Benfica and JJ know that they put out a lineup for the most part, that keeps Barcelona in front of our back three, okay? Um, holding a deep, you know, playing a deeper line defense, not playing up too high. Don't give them the chance to turn it into a foot race because we don't have the pace. They do. And, uh, well, it, it does note here that in the seventh minute, Fought Mob says that contrary to pre-match reports, Barcelona match Befica's back three. With Alba and Demir as wingbacks, Demir comes inside onto his left foot and shoots. Blacodimus makes a nice save here in the seventh minute and puts it out for a corner. The rain was a big factor in this match too. It, it looked like an absolute deluge. It looked like an absolute just storm. But I think that played. I think that played a role, but I think it affected both teams because 
Rafa did never got going in this match, and a lot of that for me is due to the heavy pitch. Um, watching this match and watching it over, I don't see anything that Barcelona did to try to stop uh, Rafa. You know, Xavi again talked about Rafa in the pre-match. Uh, he was worried about Rafa. He was worried about Darwin, and and he talked about that. But I didn't see anything tactically that really made it different. Um, I honestly don't think Barcelona played all that well. Yes, they had a goal annulled in this one. They had a goal called back. But I'm not seeing any. A lot of people are all happy about how Xavi has has reinstilled the the identity. Okay, there wasn't a whole lot different in the way that they played than they played with Kuman at the Luge. The difference was was you know they caught a Benfica team that did not score in the in the ninth or eighth minute or whatever it was. That's the big difference in this match. The reason the first match looked the way it did is because Benfica scored early. And the way Barcelona play and the way they want to play and the only way they're willing to play is not suited for comebacks. It's suited for getting on the front foot, getting the lead, and then never letting your opponent have the ball back. That's how they won a lot of their major trophies. In all those years, with all the greats, Xavi included, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, uh, you can you can include Eto, you can include Ibrahimovic, you can include Thierry Henry, you can include Luis Suarez if you want. Whatever, whatever um, inclination, whatever version of Barcelona you prefer of the last twenty years, how many come from behind wins did they really have? Very, very few. Because they are not designed to come back. Because they become somewhat easy to play against when you don't have to go look for a goal. Befica proved that here. Befica knew their opportunities were going to come. Befica knew they were going to have opportunities on set pieces. And their best opportunity did come on a set piece. I mean, I lost count of how many times, uh, how many tackles and how many times uh, Nicolas Otamendi blocked shots. So Barcelona also created their opportunities, but a lot of the times, a lot of the blocked shots and a lot of the times that Benfica's defense came through was because, in part, Barcelona is very predictable. JJ's scouting team, whoever it is that's the performance analyst, whoever looks at, at Barcelona systems of play and whoever prepared the the tactics for defending against this Barcelona team did a very good job because by and large, Benfica were always there when Barcelona thought they had an opportunity. Their Benfica's players knew where to be defensively all match long. Um, in the 16th minute, uh, it does say Benfica's back three look more like a back five, but that is what I like about it. It is the flexibility, and it's okay under pressure when you're pinned back to shrink into a back five and to survive that type of pressure. And they were penned back by Barca's wingbacks. That's true. But remember that when wingbacks step up, the space in behind them is left. And when you have guys like Everton and guys like Rafa, and when he's on the pitch, a guy like, like Darwin, that's where they need to find themselves is in that space so that when we clear it, we clear it into that space and we create counterattacks. I really thought Benfica were going to find one on the counter in this match. I didn't think that we were going to be kept 
uh, to a clean sheet. And uh, to be honest, we should not have been. Um, the only reason we did not win this game was because we did not push the ball into the wide open goal when we had the opportunity. But the the Depay uh, darts through on goal in rounds of Lacodimos before attempting to tee up Demir. But again, Befica block. And um, at that point, the offside flag does go up. Going through more of the first half in the 24th, Benfica force a corner down their left, which Everton takes short. The winger gets a hold of the return pass and crosses it. De Jong's defensive header is a good one, and Busquets uses his strength to win a free kick from Weigel. Um Slowly, Benfica kind of come alive in both of these halves. Uh, the game had a very even, I would say, a very even frequency if you look at it. Um, and what I mean by frequency, like the ups and downs were kind of even. The start of both halves, Barcelona came on the front foot and were pushing. Mefico was soaking up pressure. Mefico were absorbing it, were defending well. And then, you know, you hit the 20-minute mark of both halves and Mefico start to come out and start to play, start to find their own opportunities. And I think that was the game plan. Um, and... They start getting forward again. They get the ball to Everton. Has a couple nice plays in this game. Um, nothing comes of it, unfortunately. And then he has other plays that were not so good. But I think he he put in a respectable performance in the thirty first. Says that Gilberto shows a great touch to power past Alba down Befica's right. He could carry on to goal for himself, but instead attempts to release Yaremchuk centrally and misjudges the pass. Barcelona gratefully sweep up. Befica's biggest problem right now, and I heard this, and I think this came from Befica Podcast. I think it was Cristiano that said this, and he's 100% on the money about this one. Befica's amount of unforced errors, and for those of you that watch tennis know what that is, is through the roof. I mean, Befica make a lot of bad passes still. They have time, but this team, when it comes to making decisions, fare much worse when they have time to think about their decision than when they have to act instinctively. Rafa is the same thing. He's a great player when he does not have time and he has to use his athleticism and his instincts. Once he's given time and he has to make a decision, it seems more times than not to be the wrong one. But then again, that's why we still have him. So um, imagine this team if we did not have him. Um, Grimaldo goes in the book at the 35th minute, taking down Demir. Um, he he cut him down as uh, the the wing back was trying to get in to Benfica's attacking third in the thirty fifth. Still, Benfica worry Barca with a few corners from the first. Ter Stegen saves Yarmchuk's header. This was this was the play of the match. This is the this is Ter Stegen's save of the match. Although he knew nothing of it, <laughs> the, this was really unlucky because if Yarmchuk's header hits the ground. A few meters uh, closer, or I should say further from goal, closer to Yadimchuk. If the ball had been headed more straight down, I think this bounces up and over to Stegen and goes in. The way it happened, he headed it down with force, but the ball hit the ground just a little too close to Ter Stegen. And on the bounce back up, on the skip up, it hits Ter Stegen's leg. Uh, he hardly moves it. It literally hits his leg as uh, he's trying to find the ball and trying to react. But it gives Benfica another corner. 
And now this is the controversy of the match. Everton hits the corner, the outswinger. The ball falls to Rafa, who dr- drops it back to Otamendi. And Otamendi strikes it with authority, thumps it from the edge of the box, hits the crossbar, and goes in. I thought, we thought, we all thought Befica had taken the lead at the Cup. No. The referee then sees the linesman's flag up, and he understands that the ball went across, apparently, you know, cross, broke the plane of the end line and came back. I'm not convinced. I have not seen a replay yet that has convinced me. However, again, this was the call made on the field. And there is no way you're going to prove that the call on the field was wrong because every replay I've seen is inconclusive. And uh, they just don't even have the camera angle to, to find that, which is ridiculous. How, However many, what are we, f- almost four years into using VAR now since it was debuted at the 2017 uh, Confederations Cup? Have we not figured out we need a camera on the inline looking up to figure out if the ball went out. Um, another thing pointed out watching the match here in the United States on CBS, on Paramount Plus, on the streaming network, former Manchester City um, star, Micah Richards, Mika Richards, uh, I think it's Micah is how you pronounce it. He He's one of the panelists and, of course, a former teammate of Otamendi, so maybe that might have influenced him. But he points out, and Jamie Carragher, the former Liverpool player, also pointed out and acknowledged that the referee's assistant, the linesman, was out of position when he made that call. He had already started to run back. And it's not until Barcelona's players put their arms in the air does he put his flag up. Now, was he influenced from those from those arms, or did he actually see the ball break the plane? Nobody knows. Unfortunately, however, that's uh, the goal is called back, and Benfica get their opportunity. They get the ball across the line, but it does not count. And we go to halftime, nil-nil, second half. Again, uh, Benfica have a chance here in the 51st. Actually, Rafa looks to thread Yadimchuk through on goal, but the pass is cut out. And it's sent all the way up the other end of the pitch. Alba looks for Gavi, but Gavi is offside. Uh, Gilberto and, and Jordi Alba collide in the 53rd. Not much of anything, but it takes a while for Gilberto to get to his feet. In the tank on Gilberto, you can kind of see the gas meter starting to point towards the E. Um, it, it It's a match. Some people have said it was horrible. Some have said it was good. I, I personally enjoyed the match. I know it wasn't the prettiest match to watch, but those... Just because matches are played well doesn't always make them great to watch. Um, I this what I liked about this match was either team could have won this. Any result was possible. There were instances in the match where either team could have could have taken all three points. There were mistakes made which could have cost either team uh, any points, and in the end, it was a a draw. As in the 57th, it's it's Depay latching onto an angled pass to dash straight to the box. The Dutchman checks back onto his stronger right foot, looks to make the shot, but again, my man, 
Nicholas Otamendi with a vital sliding challenge to deny him a shooting opportunity. This is Nicholas Otamendi who knows he cannot get booked because if he is booked, he will miss the final match of the group stage at home to Dinamo uh, Kiev. And remember that Bayern Munich match where Otamendi was rested, was saved due to his yellow card accumulations, not wanting to miss this match. JJ's decision on that day looks even better now because the guys he saved were needed, especially Otamendi, because I don't doubt for a second that playing, you know, defending and man-marking Robert Lewandowski, he probably would have come up with the booking in that match. The two of them matched up for such a battle in the home leg of that of that home in a way, um, that it wouldn't have surprised me if he had been booked in Munich. And I'm glad we had him in this match. Instead, it played out, it it, it panned out, and Mefica ended up coming away with the point because of it. Largely in part to Otamendi. Otamendi is a big reason we did not lose this match. There were certain goals that he saved here. 59th minute, Darwin enters the match, replaces Yadimchuk. And the Uruguayan comes on, as does. Here we go. Okay. In the next segment, I will have a small praise for one, Adele Terapt. I did not want to see him in this match, though. And, um, you know, we just finally saw him get an assist, so maybe he was going to do it again. But João Mario could not continue, and... There was nobody else to come in. I guess he could have come on with Jetson, but um, I think JJ's thinking is because Jetson's a little more versatile, can play a few more positions. He can play either of the wide positions if necessary, and I think Jetson was saved in case Benfica went down. If Benfica go down a goal, that's literally the only guy on the bench that could come in and change the look of the team and could bring some pace. And uh, that's why he goes with the Delta Rap because Paul Bernardo is not there. I get it. And Terapt, you know, hit on his first touch, loses the ball, gives it away. And Barca nearly get a chance off of the counter. What else is new? This is what we see from him most of the time. I'll get really angry with him at the very end, but we'll we'll get to it. <laughs> Part of it is just my dislike for his game and for the way he plays the game. Not, nothing personal, just I don't particularly like his skill set or what it, what it brings to this Befica team. Maybe on a different team with different teammates and different qualities, maybe he, it, he'd be a better fit. Um, Chavi makes his change of the match and this really changes um the course and the trajectory of this match for the final you know 25 minutes Osman Dambele comes on replaces Yusef Demir and now I'm nervous um we saw the kind of trouble that Grimaldo had in defending uh Kinsley Coleman and defending Serge Gnabry and defending uh Mane excuse me not Mane Sane um with Bayern Munich. Here comes Dembele, that type of, of winger. Great dribbler, and he goes right at Befica, giving us the jitters. And Georges Zouz knows right away he's got to make a change. That's in the 69th. He nearly he nearly serves up a ball for for Depay. That could have put Barcelona ahead, and Georges Zouz wastes no more time. 
and makes a great for me a good substitution given that there's 20 minutes left and Benfica seem to be running on very low fuel and uh, they need some assistance here. They need to help help to hold on to this result at this point. I know we want to go for the win, but JJ knows that the opportunity. I think he knows that the opportunity is going to come. That um, that they have to be patient, but we cannot concede. So on comes Valentino Lazaro for Rafa Silva. Rafa did not have himself a good game. Um, I think the conditions made it very hard for him to play. The heavy, soggy pitch seemed to have slowed him down, and his touches were not there with him that day. Um, he also brings on Peasy for Everton. Everton, you know, gave you a decent effort, like 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 I said, uh, but it had been a long time since he'd been dangerous. And again, I was not. Excited to see PZ come into this match, but again, we don't have anything. This team is far thinner than we thought, and we have a real lack of options off of the bench. And I would like to see some reinforcements, some boost coming in in January to give us a few more um, options off of the bench. But the good thing about this was Lazaro slides into the wing back position, and Grimaldo pushes forward into an outside mid position. Or into an attacking mid position, really, almost as a forward, um, because he can still deliver a good ball. We saw against Pasfajeda that he is a threat from de- from set pieces. Uh, so I think JJ gets this one right on the uh, you know hits the nail right on the head here, and makes the substitution that needed to happen at that moment. And uh, Lazaro does actually do a good job of containing uh, Dembele. He comes in, and we knew that that Grimaldo was tired. He would only play a little bit more. He uh, he was not going to be able to stay with Dembele in this one um, for the final twenty minutes. So it is a good substitution. Um, Benfica find themselves in a three on three in the seventy first minute. Darwin shows a little too much of the ball, however, to his national team teammate Araujo. And the Uruguayan for Barcelona nips in and brings the attack to a halt. Barcelona starting to take risks in the 72nd. A draw isn't ideal for them. And it is Araujo once again who rips that goal from way out. And the shot skids wide of the left-hand post. Dembele cuts inside to ping a promising crossfield pass to Alba in the 74th. But Gilberto gets across to slam the door shut on the Barcelona wingback. Uh, Dion glides past Tarapt in the 76, keeps Barca moving the Catalans, eventually finding Gavi wide, who's nudged too easily off of the ball. However, Mefica recover. And I'm going to move forward here. We get a substitution in the 81st, and it is Aris Seferovic coming on for Grimaldo, who has nothing left in the tank. And this is certainly not the substitution you would make if you're playing for a 0 0 draw. Chavi, pay attention. Um, I think Xavi needs to um, work a little bit on how to read matches. I mean, on the pitch, inside the pitch, as a player, he was brilliant. He was a genius. It's a little bit of a different view from the touchline, from the dugout. And um, maybe he was just frustrated in Barcelona's inefficiency, really. 180 minutes versus Benfica without finding the back of the net. You really can't complain when you don't when you don't find a goal in two full matches against the, te- the team, you are competing directly with for that second place. Um, 
Benfica stifling Barca in the 80th. Uh, the offside trap catches the pie, who's busting a gut to get uh, back in. And uh, the Dutchman's frustration evident on his face. Uh, 86th, here comes Serginho Des for Clement Lengele. Um, and Eric Garcia replaces Ronald Araujo. Move forward. And I'm trying to find here. I think we've already passed it in the in the timeline of the match. But we all know that Araujo... Yes, we do because Araujo comes off injured. The reason Araujo comes off injured uh, is here in the 83rd. Here it is. Uh, Barcelona think they scored the late winner, but... But, after Araujo puts it across the face of goal, puts it in the back of the net on a cross that came in from Jordi Alba, I believe. Yes, the cross was from Alba. It found Araujo. He finds the back of the net. And as he's sliding on his knees in the on the wet, soggy pitch, celebrating towards the Barcelona faithful, the referee assistant's uh, uh, linesman's flag goes up for offside. Araujo injures himself celebrating the goal that would end up being called back. VAR would verify it. It was no goal. And the match remains nil-nil. And that'll bring us to the final uh the final play or the final two plays. And it is 90 plus three. It is Seferovic with a golden chance. Now the ball gets won by uh by La- uh, Lazaro. Lazaro wins the ball originally and starts the counterattack. Okay. The counterattack comes up the pitch and eventually finds Darwin running into space down the right. Darwin finds his way into the right center channel, comes down, looks up, finds a Seferovic with a pass. Seferovic does well to stay on side. Uh, he, he's now one on one with Terstegen. He goes to chip him first, and I think he miss it, either mishits the chip or Tristegan just manages to close down the space early enough to have the ball hit him. But it hits him, and it just pops up and over him, back down onto Seferovic's foot. Seferovic panicking a little bit here as the net is wide open. The goal is wide open, and um, he's being closed down. I believe it was by PK, who's, who's, who's hustling in to close him down. And he goes for the toe poke. And unfortunately, instead of going off of his big toe, it goes off of his pinky toe. And the toe poke goes wide. And the golden chance to win the three points and pretty much solidify a spot in the last 16 of the Champions League is unbelievably missed. George Azuz drops to his knees. This was the one opportunity he was waiting for. Um, Seferovic was in for that specific opportunity, but it wasn't to be, and um, I was speechless. I couldn't even, literally when I watched this, I didn't even get angry. My jaw just dropped. I could not believe what I had just seen. A minute later, um, Alba fires a cross in needlessly. And Lazaro heads it behind for a Barca corner. The Barca fans are are celebrating. I'm nervous as can be here. Usually when you miss a sitter like that, uh, you pay for it on the very next play. Well, maybe not on the very next play, but it's not that uncommon to pay for it. But Pefica see it out again and have another promising counter. 
Unfortunately, the ball comes to Adele Tarapt. And now I wasn't in shock. Now I was pissed off. He's got guys going in. He's got Darwin. He's got Seferovich. Instead of going for goal, there is not any time left. You're literally past the time allowed. The danger of Barcelona going the length of the pitch to find a winner at this point was literally impossible. And instead of going for goal, a Delta Rap takes it to the corner. I lost my you-know-what. I threw my phone. I went over to my punching bag, and I, and I laid a roundhouse kick to it as I was, I was just livid with this guy. I understand I have almost no patience for this, this player. I have not been shy that I don't like the way he plays the game. I don't like his... He, he is a skilled player with zero football IQ. I've said it from day one. His football IQ is zero, and this play shows it. He goes to the corner instead of going at goal. Then he loses the ball. <laughs> and he waves at Busquets. <laughs> and is shown a yellow card. Barca get the free kick. And there isn't even enough time for Barca to take the free kick. The final whistle is blown. And instead of having a final effort at the three points, Adel Terapt ensures that Barca take a point home. I can't stand this player. You know that. I don't want to hammer him. But I think his time has come and gone a long time ago. And uh, in the next segment, I'm probably going to give him some praise for that ball he put on to Seferovic. And it's going to be funny to talk about the Tasa game. <laughs> and little do we know, you know. But that is nil-nil full-time. Goal point crashed. I can't get the ratings. So I have the ratings from SofaScore instead here. Uh, for Barcelona, Mark's, uh, Mark Andre Stegen. Ter Stegen has 7.4. Ronald Ararujo. 7.5, Gerard Pique, 7.4, Clement Lenglet, 6.7, Jordi Alba, 6.7, Frankie de Jong, 7.2, Sergio Busquets, uh, Sergio Busquets, 8.0, Youssef Demir, 6.3, Nicolas Gonzalez, 7.5, Gavi, 6.8, and Memphis Depay, 7.0, bringing a team average to 7.05. For Benfica, Odi Vlakodimos, 7.7. 7. Uh, Andre Almeida, 7.1. Nicolas Otamendi, 7.7. Benfica's best player. And he would be in UEFA's team of the week for this for this week uh, for match day five. Jan Vertonghen, 7.1. Alejandro Grimaldo, 6.4. João Mario, 6.7. Weigel, 6.5. Gilberto, 6.6. Uh, Rafa, 6.4. Not his best performance. Everton, 6.6. Yarimchuk, 6.5. Four for a team average 6.69. So, the standings now. We can look at statistics as well, actually. Uh, possession, Barcelona 65% to 35% for Benfica. Total shots, 14 for Barca, 7 for Benfica. But importantly, shots on target, 3 apiece. This is why Xavi's theory that Barcelona deserved to win, and this was unjust, Goes out the window. Both teams had three shots on target. You're only going to score with shots that are on target. Benfica were more efficient. Even though they didn't find the back of the net, they made more with less. Um, 
Benfica had 14 fouls to Barcelona's 13. I always like when Benfica win that category. It tells me they're working harder. They're they're not allowing, a, especially a possession team, to just touch it around them. Okay, Benfica had three big chances to Barcelona's two, whatever big chances means on sofa score. Um, Barca did hit the woodwork once. Uh, Benfica three counterattacks to one. And they got shots off of all three counterattacks. That's a good statistic to know. Barcelona doing what Barcelona does, completing 644 passes. Or I'm sorry, attempting 644 passes, completing 547, 85%. Benfica 348 attempted to 256 completed, so 74% for Benfica. Benfica attempted 21 long balls, or I should say completed 21 long balls out of 60. Barca only completed five crosses out of 22 attempts. Um, Barca with 60% successful dribbles. But all of this is, you know, all of this is not something that leads to goals necessarily. And Barcelona, for me, is too married to this idea of how the game is supposed to be played. They they don't necessarily have the players to continue to play the way they did in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, Barcelona lost possession 166 times to Benfica 140. Barcelona did win the duels battle and the aerial uh, aerial battle. 79-257 in duels, 25-13 in duels, in uh, aerials, excuse me, but tackles 23 apiece in tackles. Benfica 14 interceptions and 19 clearances at the end of the day. Benfica earned the result. It should have been a win. I don't think any Benfica is happy with this result. I'm not happy with it. I thought we should have won this one, given we had the... And JJ said it, and he said it right. We had the best opportunity of the match, regardless of who had more. We did not pick it up. So, the table in Group E now looks like this through five rounds. Bayern Munich, perfect. Five goal, uh, five victories, no draws, no defeats, 19 goals for, three against, 15 points. Barcelona... Second right now with seven points. Uh, only two goals scored in through five matches. They really have very little to complain about. Benfica are a third with five points. One win, two draws, and two defeats. Five goals for, nine against. However, all nine came by the hands of Bayern Munich. So, uh, for whatever that means, take that uh, with a grain of salt. The remaining matches, of course, now will be on, uh, it'll be, I believe, on December, let's see here. The remaining matches will be in, it'll be next week. The exact date will be, pulling it up right now for you. The exact date, the next matches will be the, groupie, groupie, come on. (laughs) Groupie's final matches will be on the, The 8th of December, Barcelona travel to Bayern Munich. Benfica host Dinamo Kiev. Benfica need to win and hope that Barcelona do not. I don't like that we don't rely on ourselves, but if there's any team that you want to rely on anywhere in the world, it is Bayern Munich. So it could be worse. But I have a real uneasy feeling about that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The feeling has subsided a little bit since Tuesday. 
Because at the end of the match, I felt like Barcelona somehow were going to... I just had a feeling they'd somehow go in and win at Bayern Munich. But maybe that feeling's kind of subsided as the days have gone on. But again, Benfica can only do what they can do. So they need to beat Dinamo Kiev at home. All right. Final break uh, of the episode. And when we come back, we'll quickly recap. Benfica, Passos Ferreira, Tassat Portugal round four. And as you probably know by now, we'll talk about the draw for the next round. This is Mr. Benfica, episode 131. Welcome back. Final segment of episode 131, Mr. Benfica. And we are in the Taça de Portugal, the Portuguese Cup, round four. Let's start by going around the cup and giving you all of the other results in this round. Okay, so the round starts way back on Thursday, November the 18th. Sporting at home to Verzin. Sporting wins 2-1 to one and advances to the next round. Friday, November 19th, Casapia 3, Farense 1. The Casapianos advanced the historic club, making a historic run in this competition as they are having one of their best seasons um, in memory near the top of the second division and now advancing into the fifth round of the Portuguese Cup. Also on that day, Portimonense travel north. And beat Penafiel 3-0 on the road. Benfica and Passos Ferreira. Of course, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. As you know, Benfica win 4-1 in that one at the Luge. Saturday, November the 20th. Lessa, 1-0 winners at home to Gil Vicente. This is the big upset of the round. The, I want to say, 4th Division Lessa side. They may even be a, a side in the, dist- in the district championships. I'm not 100% sure. If they play in the in the CNS, the Campeonato Nacional Seniors, or if they play in the uh, in the Associação de Porto in the Porto district, uh, but anyway, they beat the first division side Gil Vicente one nil at home. Uh, you may remember if you're old enough, if you're my age or older, you may remember Lessa in the first division for a couple seasons back in the nineties. Vizela. Winners at home over Estrela Amadora of the Liga 2. So 2-0 winners to the first division side. Rio Ave 
of the second division beat Olianes of the fourth division two um, one at the at the uh, stadium there in Villa do Conde. Braga at home six nil thumping of Santa Clara, and it is officially crisis mode in the Azores now for for the Bravos of Surianush, um a, s- a season that started off so brightly, a team with so much hope though so close to playing in the UEFA Europa Conference, playing European football, bringing European football to the island, now fighting for their lives in the Liga Biwin Portugal and out of the Taça de Portugal. Liga 3 side Alverca uh, put up a good fight but lose at home 2-1 to one, the first division side Famalicão and Porto take care of Feirense 5-1 at the Dragão Sunday, November the 21st. Uh, another fourth division side Serpa are routed at home by first division side Istoril. Match I got up early to watch. You guys know who my who my home club is. Okay, yes, I'm Benfica through and through. That is my club, but my other little club, Caldas Sport Club of the third division of the Liga Trish, hosting first division side Bisad. And I wonder if there's going to be a COVID outbreak in the Caldas team uh, in the next couple of days. I sure hope not. Nothing yet. They had a big win in the Liga Trish this weekend, beating Alverca on the road. Um, but on the day at the Camp de Mata in beautiful Caldas de Reina. Caldas lose 5-3 to three in what was the most exciting game. I, I am biased, but the exciting game of the round. Um, eight goals and uh, give a great effort and a great display for themselves as they push the first division side to the limit. But uh, Bissad advance. Paredes won Torreens nil in a battle of Liga 3 sides. Vila Franquens nil, Mafra won. This is a battle of two teams from the Liga 2, from League 2. Moreirense 3, Vitoria Guimarães 2. And Pepa is on a string of bad results here for Vitoria Guimarães as they lose this Minho derby. There are more Minho derbies in Portuguese football than in any other right now, uh, especially in the top levels of the, uh, in the national levels of the game. Uh, Moreirense Team led by Canadian, uh, by Canadian Stephen Vitoria, advance in the cup, and then Monday the round closes with Tondela, three-one winners at home over Leixões. All right, um, we'll we'll get to the the draw for round five, which is the round I believe of sixteen. Yeah, the round of sixteen uh, in just a minute, but it is Benfica. Playing at home here to Passos Ferreira. Let's take a look here then at the lineups for this one. And I have that now. And we'll start with the lineups for Passos Ferreira. Noticeable by his uh, noticeable by his absence, especially to all my homies up there in Canada. Canadian listeners will notice that Stefan Ostakiu not in the lineup in this one for... Uh, Pasuj, he arrived late, obviously. He had to travel all the way from Edmonton to Lisbon. So um, he was kept out of this one. Uh, I think Fikishta should be happy with that. Um, he's a very, very good, very good number six. And um, 
the way the game went and the way it was it was starting and the way that it looked for a little while, it is a good thing that uh, he wasn't there, I think, or it might have been even harder for Benfica to break the deadlock. The 4-1 uh, scoreline is a little bit misleading in this one. But anyway, Pasuj's, uh lineup, 4-1-4-1 is their formation for their manager, George Simon. Igor Vekic is the goalkeeper, Fernando Fonseca, uh, Flavio Ramuz, Maracaj, and Antunj, the four across the back. Of course, Antunj, former Portugal international, former uh, Sevilla, former... Uh, you have lost track of all the teams. He, former Roma player. He's played for a number of other teams. So those are some of the notable ones. Um, in the hole in the number six, it's usually occupied by Stefano Stacchio. It's Rui Pires. Uh, four attacking mids in front of him. Juan Delgado down the right. Luis Carlos, the captain in the center of midfield, along with Befica Loni, Nuno Santos. Lucas Silva plays down the left. And João Pedro is the striker. Now, for Befica... They go with a completely rotated squad, um, and I think that's a, that's fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I am in the minority in that I like that these cup fixtures fall on the back end of the international dates because it puts less pressure on, you know, you're less likely to be missing players for a key league match. Uh, notable, of course, is Nicolas Otamendi, not in the lineup. He had just played for Argentina 48 hours before kickoff. But for Benfica, the goalkeeper is Elton Late who gets a, an opportunity to play here. Three-man center back pairing, uh, Morato on the left, Jan Vertonghen central, and Andre Almeida as the right center back. Um, maybe a preview and a, a trial, if you will, for what JJ went with at the Camp Nou just a few days later. Uh, the wingbacks, Grimaldo on the left and Radonic on the right. And I actually really like this Nemanja Radonic guy. Um I like the way he plays that position. I think he is our best option there when healthy. But, of course, he would leave this match injured and um, not what we want, obviously. The double pivot in midfield for this one was Weigel and Jetson. Important for Jetson to get some touches. And uh, Sofa score here giving him a decent rating. They rated him at a 7.3. And they're playing behind the attacking three of Rafa, Darwin, and Everton. Everton, again, with a goal in this one. He would... would um, continue to improve, and largely probably the reason JJ opted with him instead of Darwin for the Barcelona matches. Darwin had an off night here against against Pasuj. So, um, again, I'm going to do this quickly because we've been going for a while. We're well over an hour now. Um, Benfica fall behind on a goal to Nuno Santos, not the one at Sporting, obviously the one that we loaned. To this passage to Ferreira side, and uh, his goal came in the came in the fifty second minute off a nice play. He was he was uh, it, Befica was controlling the match though. I don't want I don't want people to think that that Befica they struggled to score. They were very inefficient in this match up until the final twenty minutes. I disagree with Passage's manager George Simon, who said for seventy minutes. Uh, Passage were the better team. Passage were leading for 70 minutes for certain. But I really believe, at least from what I saw, you know, Benfica were right there. Benfica created a lot of chances. Benfica squandered plenty of chances. I actually thought they were playing better than they had been playing um, recently. Remember, we're coming off a run of tough, 
performances. I had said the last episode, inconsistent performances is what I named the episode. You know, inconsistent results, inconsistent performances. Um, so I thought there was a lot of positives in this match, even though we were really poor in front of goal for much of it. Uh, we got a substitution, like I said, in the 51st. Lazaro came on for an injured Redondich. In the 60th, PZ came on for Andre Almeida, going to a 4-4-2. The fans of the 4-4-2 rejoice because we turn around and win the game. But that that change is out of necessity. We can't worry about surrendering goals. And Pasuj have little interest in attacking us when we're losing. It makes a lot more sense to, to go to a 4-4-2 at that time. Also, the players we had available, we someone had to be sacrificed. And it was going to be one of the center backs in that situation because of who we had available. So... Um, I get it, and it was a good. It was the right time to go to a four four two. Doesn't mean I want to start any matches with the four four two again. I will. I will probably die on this hill. But go back and watch the first half of the Tonella match. You can find it on YouTube, or you can find the goal. That four four two is nothing but gates everywhere for the opposition to play through, um, and that's why we don't do it too often. Here, I thought it was. It was the right. It was the right decision. Um, given that we were losing and we needed to find an equalizer, and we also did not want to go to extra time on the you know on the eve of going to Barcelona. Remember, a lot of things started in the previous round when we went to extra time. Um, we went to extra time in the cup match, and then had to go play Bayern Munich with thirty extra minutes in our legs, and we picked up a few extra injuries, and it was not a good thing. Okay, so. On comes PZ. On comes a Delta opt for Jetson. And I already criticized him in the previous segment. But before any of that happened, he had himself a good game here. Adele used in a role that I have said could be useful for him. Not in the Champions League, but in, in domestic matches, certainly he can come on with 30 minutes to play and give you 30 good minutes. He cannot give you 90 minutes. He should never start as a result. But... Here he comes on and he, he he does well and and actually, you know, we get a few more subs before we get to it. Gonzalo Ramos comes on for Weigel and Seferovic comes on for New, for Darwin. Seferovic, after I think close to a three month absence, uh, he hadn't played since August at this point. Uh, finally gets on the pitch and in the seventy eighth, uh, Befica. Get a free kick here on the right side in the right center channel, edge of the box, a little maybe 22 or so meters from goal. And it is Ale Grimaldo who steps up with his left foot, crushes it over the wall, and buries it in the top corner. Nothing the goalkeeper can do about it. The stadium erupts. Befica back in it. It's 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 level. And it's a big, again, the word they love to use on Portuguese TV, you a great relief as the fear of an upset kind of dies down a little bit. And, uh, you know, Pasuch had, had kind of not planned on attacking anymore in this one. And they had just seen a yellow card for time-wasting. They were already trying to get to the end of the match. Two minutes later, Adel Terapt. Yes, Adel Terapt with an assist. I almost fainted. No, I was happy. Um... Good ball from Adel Terapt, one of the things he can do. And he puts it right onto Seferovic's head, who, whose header beats the goalkeeper to the far post. And in three minutes, Benfica turn a 1-0 deficit into a 2-0 lead. 
and you could sense now that we were going to be safe. We were going to go through. You could sense that Benfica um, felt comfortable with the lead here. Um, Pastor Vajeda starts to scramble a little bit. They make two substitutions right after the goal. In comes Elder Ferreira for uh, for Juan Delgado. In comes Danielson for Nuno Santos. And in the 87th minute, it's another one. It's on the counter, and it's Rafa uh, who scores a nice goal on an assist from Everton Sibolinha. Same Everton who will close it out in the 90th plus three. He'll get an assist from Seferovic. Everton makes it 4-1 and continues his good run of form. Mexico win 4-1 in advance to the round of 16 in the Taça de Portugal. And everything indicated like we were taking a ton of momentum into Barcelona. And I said, hey, even maybe Seferovic will win the will, will net the winner at uh, Barcelona. And um, I think JJ was thinking that too. He brought him on. He did everything. He put him in position. He got himself there as well. But obviously in Barcelona, he was not able to find the back of the net. So Benfica win there. They advance. Here are the pairings for the round of 16. Tentatively scheduled for Wednesday, December 22nd. Casapia hosts Sporting in a Lisbon derby from, you know, 100 years ago. This was a big Lisbon derby in the early days of, of you know, Portuguese football. Casapia were one of the founders of the league. Famalicão host Portimonense. Football Club do Porto host Benfica. That's right. We come out of the hat and we draw our biggest rival. And I'm okay with it. I'm not upset. Some people are upset about it. You know what? I was I was not liking the way the past several years there were no matchups in any of the early rounds between the big teams. I was starting to think many people were pointing to the fact that it seems like it's being fixed for the big four to get to the last four every every year. And um, I liked I liked the idea of playing them. Unfortunately, it's three days before we visit them for the league. I wish it was in the reverse order. I wish it was three days after we visit them for the league. But on the positive side... It's almost like we get a trial run to go at Porto and try to see uh, where we can find some weaknesses in their game. I I think we match up with them all right. I think our staff knows what to do, knows where we need to be strong, where we need to stop them. The only thing I'm uh, I'm a little nervous about is you know there's only like a four day. Um, well, it wouldn't be a four day. Let me see. We act, there's actually more. I. It's not a four-day because Christmas falls in between the two matches. So it's actually going to be a little bit more time in between them. So, yeah, so there's a week in between the two matches with with Porto. And once again, we have another Clásico against Porto on a Wednesday. So we do not see any Clásicos on weekends. We got our home match against Sporting this week on a Friday. And when we go to the ground for the for the Tasa, it'll be on a Wednesday night, and when we go to the Dragon for the Liga, it will be on a Wednesday night. But that is the draw that we got elsewhere. Lessa host Pridge, Mafra host Morirense, Hiwav host Bisad, Tondela host Istriel, and yet another Minu Derby when Vizela host 
Sporting Braga right now, scheduled for Wednesday, December 22nd. And that, my friends, is going to do it for episode 131. Mr. Benfica, thank you for bearing with me here. Again, I apologize, as always, with the irregular schedule. My work schedule now is absolutely insane. My goal is to get an episode out once a week. Um, I say that here at 9.53 p.m. Here, my local time here on the East Coast of the United States. I need to be at work in a little over an hour at midnight. Um, and uh, it's just a reality that in the Christmas season, I work close to 100 hours a week. Uh, but I will see what I can do and try to get to you again uh, next weekend with more content. And I'm going to try to squeeze out some time again to get a women's team update before they return to play next week. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but that is my, my big goal now that this episode has been recorded. So again, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. Um, it's always a pleasure to turn on this microphone and talk Befica, even when it's not the best of things to talk about. And this was surely one of the more unusual weeks <laughs> that the club has ever had. But, uh, listen, we're one point out of first place in the league. We're two points out of making the last 16 in the champions league. And we have the opportunity in the next round of the cup to not just advance, but to take out one of the favorites. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, Befica next in next in action, of course, again, Friday, December the 3rd versus a Sporting Club Portugal. If I can get on Friday night after the match, I will do that. If not, it'll be sometime Saturday afternoon, probably. Uh, but I will definitely be recapping that one for you. But until then, enjoy uh, the rest of your week. Have a great week. Um, also want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening in the United States of America. We just celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. Those of you that follow me on Twitter saw my tweet where I said I am thankful for Nicholas Altamendi. That remains. Uh, that is still true. But, uh, again, happy Thanksgiving to the U.S. Uh, listeners. And um, we're, we're, on, we're on the way. We're going. That closes the month of November for Benfica. Now, all we got is the... The month of December to close out 2021. Can you believe it? We're already here at the end. This is going to be a major, major month for Benfica. Two matches with Porto, a match with Sporting. This match, this match, this mar, this month, excuse me, could really dictate where the season goes from here. We said that a year ago. It didn't go well um, because of a outbreak of COVID. <laughs> I believe it was in December of last year. It might have even been in January. But uh, this year, you know, we can really, really get the train going in the right direction, get it on the right track. And CB Benfica start to take a, the lead here. Tough matches, of course. Two trips to the to the Drago. But I think this team is ready, and I think this team is confident. They should be confident. Um. They should they they should play these matches with no fear and hopefully you know it's going to be a real fast month being a holiday and everything but uh, hopefully at this time next month we'll be talking about a red hot Befica but until then all right this is episode one thirty one like I said the Mister Mike Agustinu signing off don't forget to follow on Twitter at Befica Mister on Instagram at Mister Befica and I'll see you next week Cajega Befica Forza Befica we are Benfica. Tamu 38. All the hashtags. <laughs> I just read them all off. All right. I'll see you next week. Have a good week, everybody.